You are listening to the Budapest Beacon podcast. My name is Ben Novak. Joining me today is Mr. Justin Spike. Hello. Uh, we've got a number of good stories for everybody. Um, we're going to recap what happened this week. It's been a pretty uneventful week in, uh, in Budapest. Uh, and hungry for that matter. Uh, what we will be talking about is a uh, the story regarding Budapest uh, number three metro. Uh, Justin wrote quite a bit about this. There's a lot of controversy there. We'll also be talking about a uh, report released by Transparency International and Political Capital, in which they say somebody's lying regarding how much these campaigns have cost. Um, referring here to the referendum campaign we saw this year in the uh, Fidesz KDMP's national election campaign. Back in 2014, we'll also be talking about Misaros Lodins. He's the guy that a lot of people assume to be um, Prime Minister Orbán's uh, straw man. Uh, he's had a great year. 2016 has been fabulous for him. He's done quite well for himself. Record year for him, I think. Yeah, record year. Yeah, and uh, we'll also make a mention here of Nepsabotshag. It was that uh, that newspaper that was suspended uh, just uh, about a month and a half ago. In October, uh, their archives, of course, were taken on, offline, and uh, they're back online, so we'll talk a bit about that. And we'll also talk a little bit about uh, Hungarian uh, propaganda. Um, yeah, so that's it. So we're going to get started. So, Justin, tell me a bit about this uh, number three metro story. What's happening there? Well, as anybody who's ever ridden the number three metro in Budapest can probably tell you, uh, the state of the metro is is pretty poor. Uh, you can go down there. I remember when I first arrived in Budapest some years ago, the number three metro was one of my favorite things to see in the city because it's so delightfully retro, uh, to put it kindly. Uh, the infrastructure in the metro is in such a poor condition that uh, it's become a public safety hazard. Uh, it was revealed today that the metro has been stopped, service interrupted nine times this year because parts of the metro were smoking and there was fear that there could be a fire. They even had to evacuate the metro uh, recently, didn't they? Uh, each of those times, they evacuate whatever station of the metro that the, that the smoke is detected in. So recently, it, it happened on November 30th, uh, I believe, at Deak Square in central Pest. And then it happened on December 14th, just a few days ago, uh, again, where it was uh, seen smoking at Korvin Nadjad, also in central Pest. So what's stopping the uh, the government, the local government, the national government from, you know, doing anything to repair this or renovate the uh, the metro line? Well, it's certainly in the plans, uh, and it's been a, an issue on the table, not only for the city government, but for the national government for quite some time, uh, which is not atypical of how things tend to work. In Hungary, it's very long, very bureaucratic process, and, and in the meantime, nothing really gets done. What makes this unique is that it is a public safety issue. Uh, in fact, there's a political campaign which has been launched recently uh, by an opposition party, uh, Democratic Coalition of uh, Yuachain Ferenc, uh, Democratic Coalition Party, and they claim that uh, passenger safety on the Metro 3 was eliminated years ago and that Budapest Mayor Istvan Talos and BKV, the, the transport authority of the city of Budapest, are saving money uh, on passenger safety. Uh, so the project is in the works. It's just been held up by numerous roadblocks, mostly financial. So the city of Budapest wrote up a series of 
tenders uh, to give out for contractors to bid on. So they wanted to know how much is it going to cost to do this project. Um, and they put their estimate at about 120 billion forints. Um, it turned out to be more expensive than that. And then when the, when the bids started coming in from the contractors, they were 30% higher even than that. So it, it was untenable economically for the city to go forward with the project. So then what they did is they cut the, cut the whole project in half, basically. They said, we're not going to renovate the stations, which are also in abysmal condition. We're just going to renovate the tracks and the trains. Uh, they also did away with, with making accessi- uh, wheelchair accessible uh, all the stations and trains, uh, and therefore cut the cost of the project down by half. After they did this, the European Union said, we won't give any development funds for this project in its current state because we require by law that any new developments be wheelchair and handicapped accessible. What kind of uh, you know, impact do you think this might have on you know, Hungary's bid for the 2024 Olympics? Well, it's a good question. And the, and the Metro 3 has plans to uh, add a, an, an, an additional stop at, at one of its ends in the north in Uipest because that would take... Uh, passengers even further out to where they plan to build some of these Olympic facilities if indeed Budapest hosts the Olympics in 2024. Um, So naturally, uh, poor infrastructure within the city, especially concerning transportation, will be of great concern to the Olympic Committee when awarding uh, the Olympics for 2024. Any reason to believe uh, we might see a resolution to this problem anytime soon? Well, the Budapest mayor, Talos, claims that if... um, they're able to redraw these tenders and make them more uh, appealing to building contractors who would take on the, the project and they receive bids which are affordable to the city, then construction could start as early as June of next year. Uh, but that is completely conditional on, on whether they're able to work out a deal, not just with the city of Budapest, but with how much money the Hungarian government's uh, national development ministry is willing to kick in, and if they can make sure that the EU development funds are secured. So next, we're going to talk about a uh, report just released by Transparency International Hungary and Political Capital. That is a uh, think tank and consultancy. And so what they've done is they've uh, they've looked here at the cost of the uh, anti-EU refugee quota campaign that led to this uh, referendum we had in October. And they compared this to the um, claimed costs of Fidesz-KDMP's national election campaign in 2014. Now, the reason why this is interesting and why this is news is because uh, campaign finance in Hungary is just like this very murky area. Nobody really knows what's going on. There's a lot of muddy water there. And uh, back in 2014 and prior to 2014, you had a lot of NGOs, transparency NGOs, anti-corruption NGOs, who were calling on the uh, National Assembly and the government to introduce uh, more stringent legislation, making sure that these campaigns can be monitored um, so that campaign spending is actually more transparent and so on. And uh, why are they writing this report now? So in 2014, the... um, Government's figures showed that the Fidesz-KDMP campaign for the national election cost only uh, 948 million forint, which is around $3.3 million. 
And that campaign, that campaign was, you know, in its size and its scale was pretty comparable to the uh, anti-EU quota, refugee quota campaign we saw leading up to the October 2nd referendum. So how much did the October 2nd referendum campaign cost the state? And uh, that's an appalling figure. So, Justin, do you know how much that cost? Uh, well, I'm not certain, but if I had to guess, I would say it would be somewhere around 8.6 billion forints. And you would be right if you did guess that, because 8.6 billion forints is pretty much what it did cost. And that's nine times more than what Fidesz KDMP claimed to have spent in the uh, 2014 national elections. So where's the problem here? This is the main question. So whose numbers are right? Fidesz KDMP? in 2014 or the 2000 or the cost of the 2016 referendum campaign. And the reason that's a question in your mind is because the campaigns were comparable in scope and in size. That's right. They were comparable in scope and size and uh, interestingly for this referendum campaign there seems the data seems to suggest that this uh, 8.6 billion footing that they spent for this campaign is actually much closer to the truth than the 900 some odd uh, million footing spent during the 2014 uh, national election campaign so this report didn't really find anything new what they show what they what uh, transparency international and political capital point out here is that okay look um the rules behind this don't really haven't really helped make much sense of the sense of the situation. Clearly, somebody was not telling the truth in reporting either one of these uh, the cost of either one of these campaigns. So they made some recommendations at the end of this report. The first recommendation is to restrict the use of cash during the campaigns. And what TI and uh, Political Capital are saying is that political parties should receive a debit card, something like a debit card from the Treasury, through which they are permitted to spend public funds on political campaigns. Um, the second recommendation is to have an open uh, campaign account, which means that every political party, every uh, the, the government and civil society organizations engaged in political campaigns, that they should all make their camp uh, campaign spending disclosures public and available over the internet. The third recommendation they make is that political parties should be required to pay back public funds used for political campaigns if they are unable to secure at least 2% of the vote. And uh, the fourth recommendation is that campaign spending um, by the government, by municipalities, by NGOs on behalf of political parties should be deducted from the total uh, spending limit that the party uh, has to adhere to during these campaigns. And finally, their, uh, their final recommendation is uh, in addition to requiring um, print media to publish the cost of advertising for political advertisements in their papers publicly, billboard companies and uh, and companies that provide poster spots in public spaces should also be required to publish their pricing. Um, and the same goes for advertising companies. And the reason why they're saying this is because currently uh, a lot of that information isn't public. So how do you know that one guy, let's say one company controls all of the public space advertising, that they are giving the same rate and discount or whatever to each political party, ensuring fair access to the market? Um, there is no evidence really to suggest that that's, what hap that's what's actually happening. And given the fact that most of the political advertising we see in public spaces is on behalf of the, of the government or read the Fidesz KDNP majority in government, we can, there's reason to suspect that that is the case, that lower rates are being offered to certain political parties uh, than to others. Yeah. And, and uh, most importantly, as one, it's like a sub part of this recommendation is that, uh, you know, these, these NGOs are also calling on the government to um, 
restrict itself from conducting political campaigns in the name of conducting a public information campaign. So that's pretty much it with this uh, TI and uh, political capital report. Justin, do you have anything to add? Only that uh, it's it's interesting to see the disparity between how much Fidesz K, the MP, spent on their election campaign in 2014 and what the government spent on this uh, anti-refugee uh, settlement quota in October of this year. Uh, I think that given the fact that Fidesz K, the MP, only had a, a limited amount of funds provided by law to conduct their political campaigning in 2014 meant that yeah, of course, they spent less money compared to the nearly boundless amount of money which the Fidesz-controlled government authorized the government to use on this on this referendum. And this is a very good point you bring up because we saw this in the 2014 elections too. Um, in the run-up to the campaign, so before the campaign season actually started off and parties were actually legally allowed to, to engage in campaigning, you know, I don't know if you remember this, there were these signs, uh, Hungary is performing better. You know, it had the color scheme. They branded this message, this slogan, and this was the government's slogan, its so-called you know public information campaign. And what happened was is they actually handed this uh, they handed this you know campaign material for free over to uh, to the Fidesz KDMP uh, parties during their campaign season. So they didn't have to really pay for the branding, creating this image of you know this campaign slogan for themselves, and you know blanketing the country in it. And I think they did the same thing with. Uh, uh the reforms yeah. are working. Yeah. This was another public information campaign, which basically got co-opted by Fidesz because they wrote it. They, they wrote it. And now the newest uh, public information campaign, which has just been launched or will be will be launched uh, from the first of the year, is the Magyarország Erősödik. Or getting stronger. Yeah, Hungary's getting stronger. Uh, it, it resembles in every way uh, the old uh, public information campaigns with the the orange and blue, you know, Fidesz colors. But this is not a Fidesz campaign, mind you. This is a Hungarian government public information. Or is it? Campaign. Or is it? Or is it? Or is it? All right, and uh, we will transition now to our next story. Speaking of Hungary performing better, um, the man who has become the the icon of Hungarian success, Mr. Lurins Mészáros, he is, of course, the pipe fitter turned billionaire, jack of all trades, who many believe to be Viktor Orbán's straw man. This year, it has been reported that companies uh, connected to him have raked in about 225 billion forints in public procurements. Now, that's either like being a part of a consortium or to the company directly. And, uh, you know, this guy is just, uh, you know, he's got the Midas touch. He just makes it happen. Yeah, everything he touches. It rains money around him. It turns to gold. So that 225 billion forints, that's about 763 million U.S. dollars, and that's this year alone. Uh, so this guy, in case any of our listeners aren't familiar with him, he was a former pipe fitter, working class hero. Uh, he's also the mayor of Prime Minister Orban's hometown of Felchut. Where he built that stadium, of course. Right, and also the miniature railway. So this little town in the middle of Hungary, which really has not a lot to distinguish it from any other small town in Hungary, except for now it has a miniature rail railway and an enormous and beautiful uh, football stadium and uh, yeah, a football I would club. Beg the differ, but yeah, he does have the stadium there. In 2014, um, Misarosha gave an interview to Heti Valas, and this is what he had to say: that I have gotten so far is certainly thanks to God, luck, and Viktor Orban. So he knows, uh, 
you know, he knows who to thank. He knows what the hand is that feeds him. I don't know if you caught this, but there was an interview with me and Slurdings this week. 444 caught him, I guess, in Felchut, and uh, they did an interview with him. So it's important to mention here that me is the true, like the best rags to riches story you've ever heard. This guy has amassed wealth in five years that not by Western standards, by anybody's standards is incredible. So he is, he really does have the, the Midas touch. Forbes magazine now ranks him as the 28th richest person in the country. With a net worth of around 35.4 billion Hungarian forints. Yeah. And uh, it's also important to point out here that, um, and this will be a segue also into our Nepsabochag story, that uh, a company that he's connected to was the one that bought up the Nepsabochag uh, or the Nepsabochag's uh, publisher and uh, that ended up shutting down, suspending the operations of this uh, of this very old left-wing publication. And uh, so there's just an interesting thing. He also just bought a TV channel. You know, he bought it from Gabor Silesh, who is this other uh, right-wingish oligarch here in Hungary. So Lourdes, you know, he's just moving up in life. Well, he's getting into media, that's for sure, uh, which is big business in Hungary. Uh, so yeah, his his uh, a company connected to to Mesaros bought MediaWorks, which was the publisher of Népszabadság, a 60-year-old uh, print daily newspaper. It had the highest circulation of any print paper, print daily in Hungary, when it was abruptly shut down on October 8th of this year. Uh, one of the shocking things about what happened at that time when the paper was was mysteriously and abruptly shut down was that its website was taken offline entirely, which is really unusual, I think. Uh, there was a, a vast archive of stories and of work that uh, the Nape Subachag journalists had done over, over many years up online, and that was taken offline. It was erased from, from history. Anything that they had ever uncovered, any scoop which they had, had gotten on what's going on in Hungary was no longer accessible. And in the past few months, they had actually written uh, great articles. Nipsovacek, to me personally, wasn't this tremendous newspaper uh, prior to, I guess, summer. But this summer, they they had they certainly had some kind of change in the uh, you know that uh, you know that was decided amongst the editorial staff there, and the stories they were writing were incredible. So they blew the lid off some huge stories, and it really gained prominence. Is like wow, this is a serious newspaper now. They're really you know they were talking. I, if I'm not mistaken, they broke the story about Matulci's girlfriend. Um, they broke the story about Antal Rogan's helicopter ride. Um, and and a number of other stories too. So when they got taken offline, this came as like this shock to everybody, and a lot of people assumed that this had something to do with, uh, you know, the change in a uh, an editorial policy or how they're treating the government. Um, but yeah. So anyway, if you if you want to listen to more about this uh, about this Nape Subutchak story, you should go to our SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com backslash Budapest Beacon. And uh, look for a podcast there that says Nape Subachag. And we actually spoke to Andras Petter. He's an investigative journalist. And we asked him about this, um, about what actually happened in the shutdown. So it's a very interesting discussion. Yeah, that was shortly after it happened, I guess. That, that'll that be in uh, in mid-October that we did that last podcast on Nape Subachag. So the story here today, what the reason we're talking about it again, and it's in the news, is that uh, nol.hu, nol.hu, has uh, recently reappeared online. Uh, that's Nape Sabachag's web portal. Uh, just as unexpectedly as the paper was shut down, their web portal was brought back up this week. So now as an archive, 
one can browse all the work that uh, that they did that they have up on their web portal. No edits or comments can be made now on the page, so it serves purely an archival purpose for looking back at, uh, at the work that they've done. But uh, that was mysteriously returned to the internet this week. It'll be interesting to see whether any of the older content was taken off or edited you know, in these past few weeks. This is something that immediately occurred to me. Uh, you know, if they did have a lot of damning stories or stories that provided evidence of bad things from the past, you know, sure, somebody could have edited that in the background and yeah. taken I, that content down. Uh, We've heard, I've heard of this being done at, at uh, publications in Hungary. Revising past, uh, past stories. Yeah. Post facto. Yeah. Uh-huh. It could be. I don't know. I'd hate to speculate. I haven't looked back on it. That's But who knows? Said. Who knows? We're not there. We're not in the computer. We're not climbing around inside of it. No. Like little ants. <laughs> little gremlins. <laughs> okay, next story. The CIA says that uh, Russia was involved in uh, manipulating or intervening in the U.S. presidential elections. Uh, and the reason why we're talking about this is because I followed how this was reported on in the pro-government media and in the state-run media, and they seem to be very open to promulgating this notion that you know the CIA is trying to undermine a democratically elected uh, Trump presidency or Trump administration. And furthermore, a I wouldn't say he's prominent, but he is writing for a, for a pro-government outlet. This guy's name is Istvan Lovash. Um, he actually compared what's happening in the United States or what he terms to be like efforts to undermine President-elect Trump's uh, transition to the White House as being a real knight of the long knives, referring here, of course, to Adolf Hitler's violent purge of the ranks of the SA. And, um, and he's saying that the CIA is making up all these baseless lies. Now, for those of you who don't actually live in Hungary, what's very important to keep in mind here is that unlike most other countries in the region, in Hungary, our pro-government media and our state media pretty much repeats the Russian position on a lot of things. And right now, Vladimir Putin and, uh, and uh, Viktor Orban have a lot riding on a Trump presidency. I mean, for them, this would come as a very, you know— this would come as a very great gift compared to, you know, what they've been getting from the Obama administration. And uh, so I wrote about this and, you know, I talked to some experts and I asked them, you know, why is it, why would you, you know, why do you think it is that the pro-government and state media is actually covering this angle of this story? And from everybody, I pretty much heard the same thing. The whole idea here is that the Hungarian government's mainstream or pro-government mainstream media or, or the state media has a track record since 2010 of being very favorable towards Russia in their reporting, and you know they showed me they showed me a bunch of uh, a bunch of events that uh, happened. For example, under the uh, the crisis in Ukraine, um, when Russia, of course, intervened and you know seized Crimea, and there was the whole war in Donbass that's still going on uh, to this day. And uh, just prior to that, of course, you know the the Maidan um, uprising, and the way this all of this was portrayed in Hungarian. Uh, pro-government media and in public media was from this like strictly Russian narrative. So it was not inclusive towards other sides of the story. And the same thing goes for the downing of this uh, passenger aircraft in, in Ukraine. Um, also what happened in, uh, in Crimea, Justin, you're nodding at me like you have something to say. Uh, only that, that this is pretty, a pretty typical response. This whole CIA story. Uh, it sounds like what you're saying is that the, uh, 
pro-government media and state media has is kind of aping uh, Trump's position on the whole issue, which is that the CIA is just creating lies to try to make a political scandal and trying to undermine uh, his transition into the White House. So given the fact that also in the media lately, uh, we've been hearing a lot about Viktor Orban having a telephone conversation with Donald Trump, and, and that shows uh, the degree of legitimacy uh, of the Orban administration and how relations are going to be tighter between Hungary and the United States under a Trump administration. And then, of course, Putin is also uh, in, the, in the wings of, of, of this whole arrangement. And uh, so undermining and underplaying uh, Russian involvement in this election, the idea is that, that Russia hacked emails of both the Democratic National Committee and the Republican National Committee and released them and handpicked which ones they were going to release uh, with, the, with the deliberate goal of tilting the election towards Trump. And another reason why the Hungarian government would be a little bit apprehensive about um, actually lending legitimacy to this notion that uh, that Russia was capable and, in fact, did intervene in the U.S. elections, because then what would that say about Russia's relationship to Hungary? I mean, uh, we've had Kage Bela story. So there was this uh, member of the European Parliament for Yobik that uh, is now actually um, going to stand trial for espionage. As a Russian spy. As a Russian spy. We also had the Bern, uh incident where a police officer was shot in the head by this uh, right-wing military extremist guy here in Hungary, um, a investigation and investigation uncovered that this guy's organization, this military organization, had you know pretty close ties with the GRU, uh, Russia's military counterintelligence, and um, you know if if they can do it to the United States, can they do it to Hungary? Well, certainly they can, and and and. A number of reports have shown that they have, uh, that this particular organization, the Hungarian National Front, uh, had had ties to uh, Russian counterintelligence and that it was indeed funded in part uh, directly from the Kremlin. Other reports have been compiled which show that uh, many far right wing parties and groups around Europe are are in connection with uh, Russian secret services and are being funded by the Kremlin in order to undermine let's call it liberal democracy in Europe. And I think that that's been demonstrated with pretty pretty compelling evidence to be the case. And uh, even Jobbik, which is, a, let's say, a mainstream party in Hungary, but it's an extreme right party, uh, they've been known also to have connections to, to Russia and Russian funding. And I think it's very important to mention here that, that it's not just Jobbik. So it's not Jobbik that signed the Pox deal. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's 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 Viktor Orban. It's uh, it's Viktor Orban and Fidesz. It's not uh, Jobbik that has been apparently on the EU level been calling for sanctions to, against Russia to end. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not Jobbik that's been having you know press joint press conferences with Vladimir Putin. Mm-hmm. It's Viktor Orban, and it hasn't been shown with any with any uh, direct evidence that that Fidesz or that Orban are meeting with Russian secret services or or are taking funding. Uh, from the Russian secret services or from the Russian state, uh, but their posture towards Russia is is what's under question here, and and perhaps uh, cooperation with Russia on more above board or sort of above board means uh, the Paksh uh, nuclear facility deal being one of the most prominent such cases. Yeah, it's worth uh, worth twelve billion euros. So that is uh, some of what happened in Hungary this week. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Justin. See you next time. See you next time.